as my good friend and member of the Always Bring the Sticks podcast has said multiple times, Andrew Scalf, every city or every area needs a Sweetens Cove. It's a nine-hole golf course. There are two pins on every hole, big greens, creative greens. If you haven't been, it's in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, just outside of Chattanooga, on the border of Tennessee and Georgia. Rob Collins, the man behind Sweetens Cove, was kind enough to come on and chat for a good bit. Uh, we talked about Sweetens Cove, the inspiration, his inspiration as a course designer, what it's like to even get your foot in the business, how competitive it is, was it worth it? What's next? A project that we all need to see out in Nebraska, New York, much more. Enjoy. Get dressed, you're playing golf today. No, I'm not, Grandpa. I'm playing tennis. You're playing golf and you're going to like it. What about my asthma? I'll give you asthma. Yeah, King Collins, Rob Collins with us now. Um, I know you got a lot of things in the works. We're going to touch on that down the line because that's something I want to hear of. And if I want to hear it, I'm sure there's plenty of others that want to hear it too. But um, <laughs> first, I want to start from the beginning. Um, eventually went to Mississippi State after going to Sewanee and um, and didn't necessarily kickstart the, the gig for you. But where did the background come to want to go to Mississippi State in grad school and and eventually want to get into this was it was it a playing path oh, I, I, I enjoyed playing the game or was it a architecture and design interest where did where did that kind of peak you at I took a trip to St. Andrews in 1994 when I was a sophomore at Sewanee and that really started to get me interested in the idea of being a golf course architect and it just kind of one thing kind of led to another and it's something I sort of held on to while I was at Sewanee and it just seemed like a, such a huge leap that it wasn't really even something that was possible. I mean, I didn't even have any clue how you would even go about doing that. And um, so I, I just kind of, you know, went out and had a few jobs for a few years and just did random stuff. Uh, worked, lived in Atlanta and had a, had a number of different jobs uh, for about four years and then kind of had enough of that and said, I need to, need to go do something and went back to Mississippi State with the intention of getting into architecture so um, but I, I really started getting into golf um, you know in my late teens I'd say and um, you know that that kind of helped drive it too. I know you worked um, with the player group where did the first opportunity come whether it was a phone call a connection to kind of get your foot in the door because it's it's a competitive gig, and obviously a lot of people would want to design golf courses. But how do you get how do you kind of get the foot in the door, and what was the first step for you and and the first job like? My um my first job was working for a contractor on a, a nine hole renovation project, actually, and outside of Chattanooga, there's a, a course called the Champions Club, and they redid that in 2003, and I worked for the contractor for like eight dollars an hour um just you know putting stakes in the ground and and that kind of stuff that was um right after i was uh my first year of graduate school and i knew that i needed some construction experience to kind of you know um work my way uh, into it make myself more appealing to you know different designers and you know i sent out a ton of resumes and um I, my first 
opportunity came with uh, with Rick Robbins in in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, he was a really nice guy, uh, great guy. Did a bunch of work over there, and uh, I got an internship with him in the summer of 2004. That following summer, and so that was my first sort of design based internship. And he was the first guy who really really gave me a shot. So I'll never forget that. When did you meet your current partner? We met on a player project down in South Florida in uh, was early 2006. So Rick didn't have any enough work for me to to keep me on. They they wanted to hire me, um, but it was just kind of a you know matter of of you know how much work they had. And so after eight months of that internship, I was able to get a job with uh, Gary Player, which was great because, you know, this, I was in graduate school at a time when they were building 300 courses a year domestically, which sounds insane now. Um, but it was, uh, you know, there were companies like Gary Player Design that were actually hiring people. And so uh, one of the guys I worked with at, at Rick Robbins referred me uh, to Player. And, and then I was able to um, get on with them in an on-site design coordinator role, so. Before the Sweetens opportunity, how much did you have to travel? Because like you said, 300 domestic courses sounds kind of, that's a, that's a large number, uh, but what, what would, so how much did you have to, did you kind of have to travel to, to, find, to, to I guess, stay in, stay in this hunt and stay in this job? So when I worked with Player, I, I worked on this project in South Florida, and then after that one was over, my, my job was completely site-based. So I just, you know, was on, on site for the entire project. That was my job. I was there to implement the vision of the lead designer, which was a great experience because it helped me understand how construction works and, and really understand how, you know, the architecture side of things marries up with construction and, you know, some of the inefficiencies there. and. Um, and then also some of the opportunities for doing design build. And that's how Tad and I, you know, came together as we were on this project in Florida. And we felt like there was a more efficient, cost-effective way to do it where you weren't, um, you know, constantly battling a, a contractor over, you know, the artistic side of things. Um, because if you wanted to make a change, when you have an architect on one side and a contractor on the other, a lot of times you'll, the client will get a change order and it, it becomes very um, acrimonious trying to, you know, have your vision implemented. And so Tad and I said, well, let's, let's do design build. And we just kind of kept in touch. And then after that Florida job was over, I went and worked on a project up in uh, British Columbia called Wildstone. And it was a, that was a really fun project. And unfortunately it um, was a product of the recession in 2008 and it shut down. And then eventually some new owners bought it and um, were able to revive it and get it going. So it's, it's up and running now and, and doing really well. But um, uh, that was a, that was a great learning experience for me as well. So from the recession, um, then to Sweetens Cove, obviously it's kind of a long winding road with the Thomas family and everything that went in there. But when you finally get your hands on the opportunity to create and have a canvas of your own, is it almost like, being a guy on a roster on a, on a football team and, and a quarterback goes down and you, and you got to come in and you're like, look, this is, this is what we can do. And if we can show, we can do this. We're going to, we're going to have a spot in the league. Is it, is it kind of like that? It, when, uh, when, yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, I felt like, you know, this was our one big chance. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, one day I was out there before we even got hired looking at that piece of property and it was, it was a tough piece of property. I mean, it was dead flat, no drainage, um, really in, in, in tough shape. And I felt sort of dispirited. I just wondered what in the world I was doing with my life. Because like, if I've got to start here, I mean, this is a, this is a tough, tough road ahead. And, but we jumped in and, and went after it hard. I mean, our, you know, our sales pitch to the, the Thomas family basically was like, we're going to try to build the best nine hole golf course in the world. If you hire us, um, you know, but if that's not something you want, then don't hire us. I mean, because we're not going to try to put our name on something that's, we'll, we'll wait for that other first opportunity. You know, they were talking to another couple guys, some local contractors who were just going to come in and touch up some of the grains and maybe build a couple bunkers. And that wasn't going to be something that was going to move the needle for, for me and Tad and wasn't going to be the right opportunity for us right out of the gate. And so we, um, you know, Reese Thomas was believed in our vision and, and our ability to execute and, and he hired us and, and, and that's, that's kind of how that happened. But once we got hired, I mean, I was so excited just to, I was back in the game. I had a shot and I knew that if we messed up the first one, there wasn't going to be a second one. So put everything into it for sure. You mentioned flat piece of property. How much uh, as a design architect, do you have to balance and I've asked this question before of, oh, I have a vision for this versus I've got to let the land do some of the work. Where is that kind of middle ground of this is what we have to do with this piece of property or is Sweetens completely different because it was so flat and you can kind of work it how you want? Yes, Sweetens was completely different. I mean, if it was just on a base level, if it was going to actually function as a golf course, it had to be radically different landscape than what was there before um, in order for it to drain and, and and actually work I mean you had to really do a lot of work so um, there was there were no existing features um, in terms of contour that could be taken advantage of on that piece of land I mean it was there's only one foot of fall from one end to the other um, over 600 yards so it was it was truly dead flat uh, the one original piece of the property that we were able to take advantage of is on the left-hand side of number six, there was kind of an old drainage area, a, a slough, a wet area that we, we dug out and turned into that big pond and used a lot of that material to build the golf course. Um, but, you know, that, that hole originally on the old Sequatchie Valley did kind of turn right to left around it. And it was a nice natural, um, you know, cape hole, but, but we needed to utilize that, low area and turn it into a real lake and, and you take take that dirt and, and do something with it so that, that's how we built um a lot of the holes over on three four five and six um came from the dirt that came out of that pond after playing it i mean it's it's obviously completely different than just about anything you can go out and find and you're starting to see more and more stuff like that pop up with different little short courses and, and what have you, but where did you draw inspiration from? I'm trying to think like tobacco road, I guess is kind of in that genre strands, maybe a few, mm -hmm. a few. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I could really think of Tot Hill type stuff. I mean, where, where is kind mm -hmm. of the inspiration for you? And did you look at a golf course and say, all right, if I was going to design, if I got my hands on one, I would, I would trend in this direction. Where, where, where was it for you? 
you know, Mike Strantz was a huge influence on me. I saw Tobacco Road for the first time when I was working for Rick Robbins. Um, and, you know, that really opened my mind to the possibilities of, of what you can do um, in a golf course. I mean, you know, you, I always felt like you could bend the rules, but that showed me how much you could bend the rules. And so, you know, that was a huge influence. Pinehurst number two was a really, really big influence with the use of contours as a hazard uh, with short grass. And, you know, we were adamant about doing short grass everywhere and then and then the green. So just two, two heights of cut on the golf course outside of your native areas. And then, you know, the old course was a, was an inspiration. Um, you know, how the contour is, is built into the strategic fabric of those holes and some of those really bold greens and features, um, you know, come into play and, and how you, um, you know, you're basically always playing golf, but you know, you're not, a lot of times you're not going to like your angle. And then uh, actually the original version of Augusta national, the 1932 version, you know, if you read about that, you know, they, it didn't have a ton of bunkers, but it was all about, you know, finding the right spot in the fairway. So that there might be an 80 yard wide fairway, but you needed to find a, you know, 10 or 20 yard wide strip in that to, to get the right spot. And it was all fairway cut. Um, and, and then, you know, some pretty eccentric greens in terms of shapes and in contour that, that, you know, provided the interest. It was, you know, approach and recovery shot golf course and so that was a uh, inspiration as well i think there's a lot of cool holes if you've played sweetens cove you you know but if you haven't um there's two pins out on every hole and i think the fourth hole i believe it's a part three is a great example of why why two pins is great i mean what was the idea in the kind of talking about why you decided to go with two pins because if you go around twice you're getting two different experiences well we Originally, um, Patrick and I never wanted to put two pins out. We, um, you know, people would always ask us that, and we felt like there were a couple greens that were probably a little too small to do it, number seven and, and number two. And then um, we actually did it at the Ringer in 2000, and I guess that was 2018 or so, the, the first Ringer that was there. And it, people enjoyed it so much that we just kind of ran with it and put that into our daily operation. And, you know, in hindsight, I realized that really is a better way to do it because if you're traveling, say from Jacksonville to come to Sweetens Cove and you play it one time, you know, you might catch number four, for instance, with the pin on the front and you never even get to see what it's like to play it on the back. And now that we're doing the, you know, the all day passes and really encouraging you know, more than 18 holes out there, it's nice for people to be able to really engross themselves in the golf course and, and see different aspects of it. When did the Roddick Manning partnership come about? I know Sweetens at the beginning just like got through the, the finish line or what have you at the beginning. And now it's at the point where you've got investors and, and Manning and Roddick. Um, when did they get involved and how important are they to what your future plans are with this uh, particular golf course? Uh, they came on board in, uh, in early 2019. Um, so, so last, uh, last year, it was about uh, a little over a year and a half ago, um, around uh, March of, of 2019. And, you know, that was just, it's hard to even 
still believe it that it even happened. I mean, I think back on all the hard times in 2016 and 2017 and um, that we ended up with, with people like that on board is just, it still amazes me. And it's, you know, um, you know, they're great guys and, and great partners and, um, you know, just honored to have them on board. So, um, you know, I think it really helps solidify Sweetens and obviously and gives us a good, a good base going forward. So if you haven't heard about Sweden's Cove or if you haven't been to Sweden's Cove, Google it, you need to, you need to hit it. But I think we need a sweet, to be honest, I think we need one Sweden's Cove in every city, every golf city. If, <laughs> and I wish we could, but you guys only take on so much. How, what is, what is it like for you guys, your team now workload wise, and what are you willing to accept at one time? And, and how do you go about deciding what you are going to work on? Because, um, you get too much quantity. It's hard to really focus on the quality in my opinion, but if, if you guys, um, is there steps you take in that process? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, in 2019, we saw almost a hundred percent increase, a, a doubling of our traffic from 2018 to 2019. And that was, that was really good. Um, you know, more people were seeing the golf course, but one thing we realized was that our experience in some instances was downgraded a little bit because it was just too crowded. I mean, Sweetens was always about going out and being able to play quickly and enjoy the golf course, hopefully stay for more than 18 holes. Um, but we just got too crowded in, in 2019 at, at certain spots. And so going into this year, we implemented a new system with a, a 40 uh, all day pass deal where on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the only way you can play the golf course is with an all day pass. And so, you know, that really encouraged, obviously, you know, all day play more than 18 holes. And it, what it did was it was, it allowed us to, as a business, you know, hit certain numbers that we need to, to be a viable business. Um, but at the same time, it allowed us to, you know, have less people on the golf course. So rounds were faster and people could have really immersed themselves in the, in the whole experience, which is, is what, what Sweetens is all about. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to, you know, every year we kind of look at what, what went well, what didn't go well. And, um, you know, our goal is to get, get better every year and, and make the experience you know, more fun than it was the year before. So, um, you know, next year, I think we're going to, you know, look at a few things over the winter and, and, and try to try to continue to refine that, but we'll definitely continue to have the all day pass. And right now we're actually experimenting with a, with a half day pass as well. And, and that helps basically, um, you know, kind of keep, it keeps, keeps the traffic down, but the, the, the level of quality up, you know, we, it's just, it, it's a nine hole golf course and it, the last thing we want is for it to be so crowded that everyone is having a, you know, suboptimal experience. And, and by um, controlling the flow a little bit, we're able to um, make sure that every person who comes out has the best experience possible. So what's the next King Collins course that's, that's going to open up? I know there's a couple of places you got your hands in, but what's next? Uh, the next course that will open is up in, in, open up in June, up in, uh, in upstate New York, in the Hudson Valley, uh, in a town uh, near a town called Accord, New York, um, there was an old golf course called Rondout, R-O-N-D-O-U-T, that we rebuilt. That's going to be 
um, rebranded as NS Mountain Resort. Uh, it's a really cool place where they're going to have uh, some some lodging and uh, you know other outdoor activities, including you know mountain biking and hiking and uh, things like that. And, and the golf is is part of that. And so that'll open up in June. Um, we're really really excited about that. That's a nine holer. And then we've got um, got Landman, the the big one out in Nebraska, going, which is we're just over the moon about. And we've got four holes grassed on that and we'll grass the remaining 14 next spring hopefully in April and May weather dependent and then potentially some play on that towards the end of the year next year and then and then fully open in in 2022 sometime so um and then we uh, actually picked up another one in Memphis Tennessee that we're about to start a redo of Overton Park uh, a really cool uh about 2,500 yard municipal course that kind of winds through a really cool part of Memphis. It's reminiscent to me of Winter Park, uh, the course that, that Riley and Keith did down in, in Florida. And, um, and then we've got another one called Red Feather that we're going to start next year in Lubbock, Texas, um, which we're really excited about. And then we've got a few other um, really good irons in the fire, things I can't really talked about quite yet but hopefully uh hopefully they'll they'll open up for us so the landman the landman project i want to get into that because when i think of nebraska golf i guess i think of sand hills or sure but that's not that's probably the extent of it i guess Uh, i mean talk about what you guys have envisioned and what like as a golfer what are we going to see i mean is this reminiscence of that or uh what you guys have done um in South Pittsburgh or New York, what, what are, what can be a, a visual you can give us of, of what we're going to see out of this landman project? It's hard to even describe until you see the land. Um, the, the views across the property are, are incredible. I mean, you can just see forever and um, the landforms are so big and so bold. It's, it's not like anything I've ever really seen before. It, it's hard to, compare it to one specific golf course it does have a little bit of a a sand hills type of look to it in terms of the rolling topography but it's it's more it's if you've ever been to sand hills it's much more severe than that sand hill site and it's also a little bit less choppy the 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 landforms it's they're not sand dunes they're just big rolling hills and so the way Tad and I routed the golf courses, you know, some of them are down in, in the valleys, some of them are up on the hills. Um, it, it's got, you know, the, you stand on the tee, the third tee at Valley, or the third tee at Landman, and it, it kind of has a look of like, you know, the big dunes at Valley Bunyan almost. Um, I think it's got some Lahinch in it. Um, you know, it's got a little bit of Sweetens. Um, it's, It's just uh, a really unique, strategic, fun, artistic, playable golf course on a canvas that you've never seen before. It's standing on the 12th tee, you look out and you can see 12 golf holes winding all over the place and over the top of the 12th green way 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 in the distance i mean it looks like it's miles away you see the left side of the fifth green i mean the views across this property are just 
I mean, if you think Sweetens looks good, why do you see this place? I, I mean, I, I'm just, it's something else. That sounds incredible. I'm trying to think of like, I mean, that's a cool thing about golf and especially there. Like I've, I haven't played Sand Hills, but I've seen the pictures and, and the videos and you feel, it looks like you're going to feel super isolated, kind of like in your, in your own unique little world. And I kind of, I felt that at uh, maybe like an Aaron Hills where you, like you said, you look out and you see a bunch of different holes. Um, what, what is this place near? I mean, is it kind of just out by itself? What, where, where do you, what's the path to get there um, for, for a person coming to the Landman next year? It's actually a lot easier to get to than, than say, a, a Sand Hills um, and some of the other remote destinations. It is in a small town um, near Homer, Nebraska, which is a population 530 or something. But um, you're 20 minutes from Sioux City, Iowa, um, which has an airport. The airport's actually like 15 minutes from the site, so it's not that far. And then uh, Omaha's what I always fly into, and that's an hour and a half south, and it's you know, it's a piece of cake just to drive an hour and a half up the road and, and then you're there. So, um, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's, you see a little bit of rolling Hills here and there. And then all of a sudden you just, you go up, up this Hill and there's just this wild landscape. I, I once described it as, you know, if Sand Hills and Shinnecock Hills, th those sites had a baby, uh, and they put a little LSD in the baby's milk. That's what the site would look like. I mean, it's just, it's like the, those sites, but amped up. Oh, yeah, we can't wait. Um, you mentioned the one in New York. Um, is it, what are the similarities? Do you guys now have templates that you refer to? I know like Seth Rayner had his green, his green templates that, um, that he ran through. And is there stuff that you can see that, um, maybe looks like Sweetens Cove or what's, what's the uh, project in New York uh, going to get people excited about? Well, the project in New York was pretty similar to Sweetens in a lot of ways. Um, we took a very nondescript nine hole golf course in a low area. Um, we had more contour um, on the Ines property than we did at Sweetens. Um, but most of it kind of sat in a, in a flat bottom and uh, we completely reworked it, opened up a lot of sight lines, great views across the property. And, you know, our charge from, from the client there was to, you know, kind of have a, a Sweetens inspired experience. Um, and so, you know, it's got some really big eccentric greens um, with tons of different pin placements. Um, same thing with short grass and contour. Um, it's got a lot of a lot of Sweetens Cove uh, type type look to it. Um, there's a forty five thousand square foot green that you get introduced to right off the bat. The the putting green ties into the second green and the ninth green, and it's just this gigantic acre size green that's all tied together. And um, so it's it you know that kind of introduces you to the theme, you know, right off the bat and. Um, you know, it's just good, you know, strategic golf where you got to think your way around and, and, you know, a lot of it is, is approach and recovery like, like Sweetens and, uh, you know, have a lot of variety from one day to the next, like, like Sweetens does too. Are you guys competitive? Are golf course architects competitive and do you use the validation of that competition through rankings i'm do you look at the rankings and how important was it for you maybe monetarily but also kind of just validation that sweetens cove was ranked and i mean what what does that do for you guys 
um, you know, there's some, you know, established architects like, like Cor Crenshaw and, and, you know, they kind of say, you know, we're I'm speaking for them that, you know, they're just trying to build a great golf course and it's not, it's not the ranking that, that, that matters. And, and I think there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, ultimately it's about putting a really unique, great course down and, you know, wherever the rankings fall is, is, is fine. And I, and I can understand that. And that's also, it's pretty easy too for like, you know, the number one firm in the world to have that approach. Okay. Um, and hopefully one day we'll, we'll get to that point where rankings don't matter as much, but the, the, the hard reality is, um, particularly when you're coming up, the rankings do matter. They matter a lot. And especially with a place like Sweden's Cove that was breaking the mold in so many ways, uh, the golf week ranking for us was huge. I mean, to be in 2017 ranked ahead of the, uh, both the U S open and the PGA championship site is a, is a nine hole golf course um, on the, the modern ranking for golf week was huge. And, and I've, I've always said that, I paid a lot of attention to that and we were very thankful to, to be on that list because for a lot of people, there is a stigma to nine holes and it's seen as less than by a lot of people and to beat out places um, like Aaron Hills and, and others, um, you know, really well-known golf courses uh, was, is a big deal. And it, and it does sort of give, give it a stamp of approval to say this place is not less than at all. And it also too shows you that you can, you can play with the big boys. I mean, um, you know, when we built Sweden's Cove, we were doing it, uh, in, in 2012, 2000, 2011, 2012, in the summer of 2012, there were, I think five or six active construction projects in the entire United States. And, two of them happened to be nine hole golf courses in rural East Tennessee. Um, one of which was ours. And the other one was 25 minutes up the road at Suwannee where I went to college where Gil Hans was doing a project and, um, he and his team did a, a phenomenal job there. Like, like they always do. Um, and you know, there certainly wasn't any competition, you know, from his end, um, to us, I mean, he didn't need to compete with us because nobody knew who we were. Um, his next job after that was the Olympic course. Um, but for us, there was definitely competition. You know, we needed to be able to show that, that we could go head to head with the hottest, you know, one of the hottest architects in the world and one of the best architects in the world and, and lay something down that, um, you know, made its own statement and was, was, was worthwhile. And so um, for me, I was, extremely competitive i wanted us to i wanted sweet i was very intent on sweetens being you know yeah. and better how important are these golf courses sweetens cove like you see the cradle the sandbox we just got a 12-hole course um here in jacksonville called the yards and it's awesome uh, how important are these do you think to the game of golf and do you feel like you had a hand in breaking into this mold that I think could be a little bit of a wave for the future whether it's an add-on to a resort or or a standalone nine-hole golf course like Sweetens yeah I mean I think it I think those are all really important you know parts of the game we we did a 
a four and a half acre practice facility in, in St. Simon's called the Miracle. Um, it's at a Sea Palms Resort. Um, it's, it's kind of an amenity for the, the members there and it's kind of a free for all type of place. And, you know, a lot of these, you know, short courses, I think that, you know, that they were starting to come online. I know Bandon had done, done one that, that's great. And, um, you know, people were starting to do those. And I think, uh, you know, people are starting to perceive golf differently and, you know, with the, you know, l less time to go out and play and, um, it's a way to introduce kids to the game and not have a, you know, super long slog of an experience. I think these are all, you know, really important things. Um, and, um, you know, I think when the, when the history is, is written on it, I think, you know, Sweetens will kind of be seen as a, a leader in, you know, in, in breaking the mold. I mean, my, you know, our, mine and Tad's intention with Sweetens was to, you know, make it not about the number of holes, but about the quality and improve that you can have a, a, night, a, a course that no matter how many holes it has, it can stand up to, you know, almost any experience anywhere. And, and so that was, that was really important. And, you know, now fast forward, we're almost into our sixth year of, of operations at Sweetens. Um, you know, we have international play on a nine hole golf course that doesn't have food and beverage and doesn't have lodging. I mean, that really, and we're booked out, you know, two, three months in advance. And to, to be able to do that, you know, that broke a lot of people's perception of what, what was possible, I think, because there was, you know, there's a kind of a common, common belief that, you know, you need to have 36 holes and you need to have this gigantic, you know, lodging and food and beverage and everything to have a, a destination golf course. But there, there's, there's other ways to do it. Although I will say that I think the next logical step for, for Sweetens, um, there, there are no plans in the works for this, but, but we would, we would like to do a, uh, a short course on the, if you've been out there, there's about a 10 acre parcel. Um, if you're looking out at the golf course to the right, where we could do sort of a cradle inspired course, um, something like that. Um, and then also do some cabins. I would really, really like to do that. I think that would, you know, alleviate some of the pressure that's on the main course. Um, and then also give people, um, you know, a place to stay, which would be, which would be really cool. So. Okay, a couple of rapid fire questions and, uh, we'll get you out of here. Ed, was there a golf course, um, that before you really got into this, that um, you could look to as inspiration. I've heard people say, obviously, Pine Valley or Augusta, um, a couple of these really um, high-end courses or Pebble Beach that um, small greens that people have, have drawn from. What's a, what's a course that you've, you've looked at and said, okay, yeah, I like this? I think Pinehurst number two. I mean, that's that one in, in America really – jumps out to me. I mean, it has all the elements of, of what I like in architecture, um, which it's, you know, the American cousin of, of the old course. So, um, and Royal Dornick and, um, you know, just seeing those, those philosophies implemented on an American, um, landscape is to perfection. I mean, that, that's one thing I always say about Pinehurst number two. I mean, it is a perfect golf course on that side. I don't think it's possible to do a, 
a better golf course. I mean, it's just perfection in, in every way. And so um, that's one that I, I really, really look to. Um, I think my, probably my favorite golf course in the U.S. is, I mean, Pinehurst number two and Sand Hills. Uh, I got to play LA Country Club this year. Uh, that was quite a quite an experience. I was really really impressed with that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess falls into my next one because they're getting ready to host. But a golf course in the United States that hasn't that you would like to see host a major. I'm super excited about um, seeing the the U.S. Open at, at uh, LACC. It's going to be unbelievable. That, yeah. that little finishing stretch and there's the the par three on the backside that's I think when they played the was it the Walker Cup there they you know it was they stretched it down to like 87 yards I mean you can you can play it at 100 110 or all you know down to like less than 90 I mean it's just a a tricky little hole and under U.S. open conditions with pressure I think that's going to be a really fun dramatic little nugget in that that finishing stretch um that's just a that's a super cool course favorite hole at sweetens cove or are they all like children you're not allowed to pick they're all like children but i i always say number five i think you know that kind of is the you know distillation of of all the things that we like in architecture lots of options drama you know the opportunity to have a eagle or or a quadruple bogey you know right next to one another it's just both in the in the realm of possibility i think that's a that's a great hole yeah i'm eliminating chattanooga from this next question because i i firmly actually believe that it could be it could be a legit answer uh now that we've been in in these courses are starting to grow, but you can post up and all you get to do is play golf in one area of the United States. And that's where you're living and can only play golf there. Where do you, where do you choose to reside? You got to choose long Island. I mean, the, if you could gain access to the golf courses there, I think that per capita long Island has the best golf courses in the world. I mean, it's just insane. The amount of golf that's there. It's, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. That's a, that's it is answer. completely but, insane. But However, again, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the problem with that though is, is that it's a short season. So that's true. Your, your, you know, one B might be Southern California if you could play Riviera and uh, Bel Air and uh, LACC every day. That wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, that's that's pretty good too. Okay, um, wildest story or I guess just a, a place that someone's came from to play Sweden's Cove. We had a guy come all the way from it was either Australia or New Zealand, and Matt asked him like, "Where else are you playing?" He's like, "Oh, nowhere, just here." And it's insane. That's nuts. Okay, um, final question. I can assure you that when Patrick and I were sitting on the porch in 2015, and nobody was on the course, we did not imagine we'd ever see that day. So that was good. I'm not sure how much golf you get to play anymore, but. We ask this to everyone. Uh, weirdest place you've ever been with your clubs outside of a golf course, or I guess seen someone with golf clubs outside of a golf course. Hmm. Um, I lived in uh, I lived in Tokyo in 2015, and it's hard to believe I was working on a Cork Renshaw project over there called Yokohama Country Club for three months, and just kind of a fill-in guy. But that's a side note but I mean in a 
urban area that has 30 million people, it's hard to believe how large that actually is. I mean, it's to, and then you see somebody like, you know, on the subway with golf clubs. I mean, that it sort of seems incongruent that there could even be a golf course in this concrete jungle, but there, there's a few and there's some, some real good ones too. That's awesome. Well, we look forward to the, uh, the projects coming out. Thanks again for coming on. We, we appreciate Thank you, you so taking much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks yeah, a lot. Absolutely. Anytime you want to come on. Um, yeah. Okay. Have a great rest of your week and we appreciate yeah. it. You too. Thanks again. See ya.